Hey, it's Damon, and today I'm giving a shout out to Susie, a new supporter for the Who Am I Really podcast on Patreon. When I logged into Patreon.com recently, I saw her name and an AU designation next to her contribution, and it hit me. Susie feels a connection to these adoptee stories from the other side of the globe in Australia. Wow. We are a world apart, but we're connected by adoption, just like listeners here in the United States. But what I love to see and am so thankful for is that people are also listening in Canada and the UK, India, New Zealand, Ireland, Norway, Mexico, Germany, Belgium, the Philippines, Indonesia, Iran, Vietnam, Guam, Netherlands, Italy, Malawi, Australia, Mozambique, Switzerland. It's about my birth mother having a baby and not being prepared and her family not accepting it and my birth father's family, they didn't accept it. And it's about trying to get rid of a problem and then it's about my adoptive parents wanting a baby and it's about an adoption agency wanting money. It doesn't really feel like it's about me. So I'm gonna go ahead right now and make it about me. Like, I have to protect my spirit. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? a podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today you're going to hear Alyssa's story. She called me from Jacksonville, Florida. Alyssa is a biracial woman who was adopted into a white family in a white community. Living without racial mirrors, she realized in her youth she was missing a connection to the black community. Alyssa was able to locate her biological parents quickly. Alyssa's relationships with her biological parents are strained for now, but she holds out hope that her birth mother will come to understand how she feels, appreciate that she's doing the work to maintain her own happiness, and that they can reconnect one day. This is Alyssa's journey. Alyssa's parents had tried to have children, but they were unsuccessful, so they adopted her. She was the only adoptee in her immediate and extended family, and she didn't know any other adoptees growing up. It was just her, as far as she knew. Alyssa said that with white parents, as a biracial girl, it was pretty obvious that she was adopted to anyone observing her family. It was kind of overwhelming because everyone knew that I was adopted, and I think that that really bothered me more than I realized back then. But I was really the only one. I was the only adopted person that I knew most of the time. It wasn't a secret. Obviously, it really couldn't be because of the whole, you know, not <laughs> being biracial thing. But I, I knew I was adopted from before I can even remember. I was told really early. And I had to kind of wear that story because people were going to ask about it. And people were curious, you know, about my family and why it looked so different. And I also went to really small Catholic schools when I was young. So it, <laughs> I was really isolated because you're coming into situations where you have a lot of, you know, biological families with a lot of kids, but no adopted children. So I never really knew anyone at any real deep level that was adopted. I, I honestly still don't in my real life. That's really fascinating. I'm wondering about, you said something along the lines of, 
it really bothered you more than you realized. Can you say another word or two about like what that bothered feeling meant for you? How, what does it bothered mean? I think, well, through therapy, I really had kind of a breakthrough with my therapist realizing that not only was it traumatic and like overwhelming to be adopted, but that everyone that I ever knew knew something so personal about me. I really didn't like it. It felt like a private thing that I was having to live publicly. And I felt really exposed all the time. You know, I don't, I still don't like that, you know, random kids that I knew, you know, for a year in the fifth grade, that that's what they might remember about me was that I was the adopted girl. It wasn't something I was like consciously thinking of. And it took me a long time as an adult to realize I don't have to tell people anymore. And I have taken a step back from that. And I no longer share that with people um, when I meet them. And I'm kind of in a space now where for the first time in my life, I have privacy and I can choose, you know, who knows my story and who knows something that makes me feel so vulnerable. And I think that's one of the things when you're adopted and certainly in my case where I can't hide it, you know, I can't, I can't deny it. You lose your privacy against your will. And it, it was hard. I really struggle with the fact that everyone knew that because it didn't even give me kind of a break to think about how I might actually feel about it. It was just something I always had to be ready for people to mention and bring up, you know, and when you're young, you don't, you don't have any coping skills. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that the way that you did. I'm not, I can't think of anybody that I've heard say that before. And I'm sensitive to adoptees who are transracially adopted because I do feel like a lot of times you can't escape the fact that you're adoptee. But the words you used were, it was something I had to live publicly. And it, basically I heard you say something along the lines of, it was a private fact about me that I had to live publicly. And I've never heard it expressed that way before, but that's really interesting to hear because we talk a lot about mirroring, like a, an adoptee's desire to look like the people around them, but not necessarily mm -hmm. the way that you said it, living something private in the public sphere. Really fascinating. I'm, I, I'm really glad you said that. That's, I'm going to carry that one and use it again because <laughs> I think it's so accurate. And I don't think a lot of people have had the ability to sort of express it that way. But I think what you've said is absolutely correct. Wow. Yeah. And it took me a long time to really sort of acknowledge that, that that fact alone was really hurting me. And I went into adulthood in like my early twenties, still in that mode of like, I have to explain this to people. Like I have to tell people I was adopted. And it wasn't until I was maybe like 25, I thought, well, maybe I don't have to do that. And when I did, it was like taking my power back. And sometimes it can make things a little awkward because I have to dance around certain facts. I know sometimes if I'm talking to an acquaintance that if I say a certain thing, they're probably going to guess that, oh, my mom is white or my dad is white. And then I have to explain it. So it kind of keeps me a little at arm's length from people, but it's a really good decision. I'm glad that I did it. And I'm Right now, I'm not looking to change it. Yeah. No, I, I, I can appreciate where you are because you're saying basically I'm getting to own my own story. And as someone who's had to live their story publicly for a long time, that ability to sort of 
pull it back in and and share what you want to share, not what you have to share or feel you have to share. I would imagine that is pretty empowering. That's great. I love it. So tell me, what was the makeup of your what's the makeup of your family first of all? So you said your parents are white. Did you have siblings? So when I was born, my parents had no children. And yes, my parents were in their mid-30s when they adopted me, and they're both white. And then when I was six and a half, my mom had a biological child, my sister. And it was pretty unexpected. Both my parents were in their 40s at that time. And we all thought that it was just going to be the three of us. And that's kind of what they told me because they didn't really have any information otherwise. And we had a, you know, it was really the three of us. It was a strong family unit and I was happy. I didn't take the news of a potential sibling well, not really because of the angle of her being biological, but because my parents had told me it would be us three. And I actually threw quite a fit. And it's like the most famous story in my family is that my parents sat me down and told me and I dramatically screamed at them that they lied and I ran into my parents bedroom and threw myself on their bed and was (laughs) kicking and screaming and crying and my dad came in and talked to me and later that night after I'd calmed down my dad was with me and I told him if it was a girl then it would be okay and I would play with the baby but if it was a boy I wouldn't be interested in it and thankfully it was a girl and it's my sister she's 23 now I love her so so much so I'm really happy (laughs) that she's in our lives but at first I didn't take it well because I was the typical kind of like spoiled only child and at the time I was the only girl like cousin and girl grandchild so it was it was just a big change (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you were super special. It wasn't necessarily about adoption. It was just about being an only child who was going to have the spotlight and attention and other things taken. Yeah, you know, you were a kid and were sensitive to all kinds of stuff. And especially the fact that they said it was going to be just the three of us and here this major plan change comes along. So, yeah, that's (laughs) it's sad. It's cute, but it's sad because, you know, that's the heartbreak of a child. Right. So you continue then to grow up as a child who kind of sticks out in her family. Your community, I get the impression, was fairly predominantly white as well? Yeah, absolutely. Up until the fifth grade, I was in two different Catholic schools that were predominantly white. And we lived in white neighborhoods. And, you know, my parents, naturally, the people they were around and their friends, they were white. I don't know if there was a lot of thought about what that would feel like for me. You know, all I know is to be uncomfortable all the time, (laughs) even when people are being very nice to me and maybe I'm not, you know, being picked on or anything. All I know is to just be different from everyone and be very aware of it. It's made me very anxious. You know, I'm, I'm just a very nervous person, always kind of just waiting for something bad to happen. I think that being isolated like that was another part of trauma that I I'm still kind of trying to reconcile. I think, you know, to be a a black person all by yourself is, it's a lot. It's, it asks a lot of a child and I didn't really understand how to, you know, talk to my parents in any meaningful way because they, they, they tried, but, you know, just their age and their, the time they come from and 
they were just limited by that and there was only so much they could help me with so i knew kind of early on okay there's a lot of things in my life that i have their support with but i'm on my own for sure and they can't help me with you know my being black and being biracial i'm gonna have to figure that out on my own and when i was young i just knew okay well one day i'm gonna have to (laughs) really confront this and that did end up happening when i was in middle school i went to a public school for the first time and it was a school here in Jacksonville for performing arts. So it's kids from all over the city. And that was the first time I had any real exposure to other Black children. And I knew then that, oh, I have missed a lot. Like I knew something wasn't right. Like I wasn't a part of their experiences. And I was a part of a children's choir that was actually a predominantly black children's choir. My mom had found out about it and put me, you know, had me audition for it. And this was right as I was going into middle school. And uh, I was backstage with, you know, the other kids and we were waiting to go on by our new sections like soprano and alto and i'm standing behind stage and there's a, you know a young black girl in front of me and she turns around and she says what are you and i thought she was talking about like what what i was in the choir so i said oh i'm an alto <laughs> and she said no what are you and i was like i'm an alto and she like kind of you know, snickered at me and turned around and it just hit me. I have, I still can remember that feeling of being like, oh, she's asking me like, what am I like my race? And I was like, oh, I'm biracial. And I know that in my experience, it tends to be, I feel like maybe just in my experience that white people use the word biracial where black people might use the term mixed. And that's what she said. She said, oh, so you're mixed. And I was like, I guess so. And I was so stunned <laughs> and so confused because I didn't know that term. You know, my parents, I don't know if they'd heard it before or if they had, they didn't tell me that people will refer to me as that. And it was very jarring because I had never really been asked so abruptly, you know, what do you identify as? And it made me feel very exposed and I felt really dumb. I felt like, oh, I I don't even know what she's talking about. And that was kind of it. She kind of just turned around and (laughs) didn't really ask me anything else. And it was hard. And again, you know, when you have an all white family, I was like, well, I don't want to tell my mom because like, that's embarrassing. You know, like, Mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, I'll just keep, it'll just be something I remember. So (laughs) yeah, that was, that was really uh, confronting because I had never had anyone just sort of tell me, oh, you're mixed. And then I thought, well, is that a bad word? Like, is, can I say that? I mean, it's taken me years to feel comfortable with the word mixed and I don't really use it myself still, but it it at least doesn't really make me feel bad anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just took a while to learn that that's the word people use. And certainly in the white community, I feel like they tend to say biracial. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That is so fascinating. I mean, what a story just to hear that something for me, so innocuous as the words mixed versus biracial, like they just, they're so interchangeable for me. But for you, that was the difference between how one community expresses what they see you as and how the other community sees you. I mean, that's really, really interesting. And for it to be so 
such a stark memory for you, that moment of realizing how they see you is different. Was That's really, really unreal. Wow. And in middle school, as you've said, at a time when you're trying to figure out your own identity and here this person is expressing how she sees you in a different way than you see yourself, even though it means the same thing. That's just really interesting. Yeah, that, that was my earliest, like, experience with, again, realizing, okay, I am not having the same experience as other black children. And I know that I don't really like it. But again, what am I supposed to do? You know, Mm -hmm. I'm 11 years old, I have no control over where I live. You know, my parents, I don't even have the language to express to them that I'm uncomfortable. And, you know, I don't, it's not that they don't care. It's just that they don't have to think about something like this, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I'm tuned into what you said about how isolating it was. I've heard people say it before, but once again, you've said it in a way that has really made me think. For a child of color to grow up in a community that is so drastically different from their own with no mirroring whatsoever would be incredibly isolating. I didn't have that experience, so I guess I'm tuned out to it. But it, but I can see exactly where you're coming from, that as you stand alone in your family, you similarly stood alone in your community. And, and just hearing you use the word isolating was really jarring, but made the picture super clear. Alyssa has the classic adoptee people-pleaser personality, to use her words. She said she wanted to do really well in school and make her parents proud. Speaking of her adoptive parents, Alyssa said they're both pretty creative, really into music, and she shares her dad's sense of humor. Alyssa's adoptive father is an outgoing, talkative guy, whereas she's very reserved and standoffish with people. She said sometimes she's afraid of people, which can be tough because her dad likes live music, for example, but concerts with a lot of people stress Alyssa out. Alyssa got emotional speaking about her relationship with her adoptive parents. We have a lot of things in common, and a lot of things that we don't. My mom is really into history and, like, true crime, and that's definitely something that I like as well. I think it's hard. I I try to have a good relationship with them because, you know, I don't have them. I don't have anyone. And, um, you know, I think sometimes I, I have done them a disservice as well as myself because I tried so hard to make everything be good and like for them to have a good experience and for you know for them to feel like they did everything right that I think now as an adult and I you know voice unhappiness or I you know I try to reflect back on things that happened I think they're kind of shocked because I didn't share it at the time but I just I was not in a place where I could do that and I think Maybe right now our relationship is, it's fine in the sense that, like, you know, I literally just spoke to my mom yesterday. I texted my dad yesterday. You know, I see them all the time. They don't live that far from me. But I do feel like I've sort of lived two lives and they've only seen one of them. And now as an adult, you know, I'm trying to communicate things that I probably should have said a long time ago to them. So you know, I hope, obviously, I hope they would listen to this. I'm sure that they will, but it's, it's hard because 
I don't know, like they are good people. So I don't know. Sometimes it's, it's just, it's hard because I, I love them so much and I, I just want to protect them. And I think sometimes I do that to the detriment of my own happiness. Alyssa and I took a moment to gather ourselves and take a breath. She continued, saying her parents adopted her for the simple, altruistic purpose of being parents. They're good parents, Alyssa said, and she trusts them with her life. We have a very, like, you know, just a regular relationship. And again, I think that's what made my life so hard was because at home, we're a regular, we're a regular family. Like, we're totally normal. And in fact, you know, maybe more so than a lot of biological families, you know, but other people didn't see it that way. And that was very difficult. You know, when people ask you, oh, do you call them mom and dad? You know, I, I was adopted when I was five months old. So what else am I supposed to call them? Right. You know, and that's very hurtful because I'm like, I've lived every day with my parents. They've been married for 41 years. Wow. We've been, you know, it's been, we, we've spent so much time together. We have a regular life, you know, we are a normal family. And again, having everyone see that it's not, you know, quote unquote normal was hard because I, you know, there's times where I want to think, well, I think your biological family, you know, is weird because this situation is different from mine, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think, honestly, I've started to think, you know, that adoptees put a lot of pressure on our family structure and how it gets along because we're adopted. And we feel like by being biological, just inherently a lot of people have what is quote unquote a normal family when in mm -hmm. fact quote unquote normal families have some screwed up stuff in them <laughs> i mean really jacked up and if you were to look behind the curtain of some of these families that live next door to you you would realize like yo these people are crazy right <laughs> and but we put a lot of pressure on ourselves because we recognize that our family was formed in a different way and in your case, people can actually see it every day. So there's this this pressure on it that is unnecessary. And and but you've nailed it. You're absolutely right that there are a lot of folks who, when you look at their family, you're like, yo, you guys are kind of weird. You know what I mean? So um, <laughs> I hope that folks will will try to relieve that pressure of saying, you know, just because our family has adoption in it doesn't make it any weirder than, you know, the one down the street that's struggling with, you know, you name the challenge. So we all have our stuff that we struggle with. And, and it's not just because of adoption that a family can be seen as out of the ordinary or have some challenges. We all have challenges is my point. Yeah. So. In the arts program, Alyssa began the self-discovery that helped her recognize she wanted to explore the black community and have a more culturally diverse life experience. She attended a public middle school where most of her friends were white and she could really feel other people seeing her as black. She said when she's talking to other black people and they realize she's transracially adopted, they have this aha moment like they could feel that something was somehow different, but they couldn't put their finger on it. In high school, Alyssa's parents put her back in a Catholic school because the options for public schools weren't of the quality they wanted for their daughter's education. Alyssa said it was a return to a very white world 
at a time as a teenager when she was really trying to find herself. She went to college at UCF in Orlando, where her first roommate was a Latina woman who was accustomed to navigating communities of color. So they started hanging out and Alyssa was exposed to people that looked more like herself. It was a time of awakening for Alyssa. She realized she could either continue to pursue what was comfortable, having mostly white friends, or she could step outside of her comfort zone and grow an organic black experience she had never had before. Alyssa realized she couldn't go back. She made friends with other black students and joined black student organizations. Of course, being away at college was the first time Alyssa had lived alone, so her curiosity drove her to search for her birth mother on the internet. Alyssa was given one name when she was born. Her adoptive parents gave her the name Alyssa, but kept her original middle name. Her adoptive mother had been open about the name she was given at birth, and her birth mother's name too. Sitting alone in her room, Alyssa took her original birth name, her middle name, and her birth mother's first name, and began to search for the woman in Jacksonville, Florida, where she knew her birth mother had lived. Alyssa searched yearbooks on classmates.com, drilling down in research on so many women who graduated in the 1990s, the time frame when her birth mother would have been of age to give birth to her. Unfortunately, the woman's name is rather androgynous. It could be a woman's name or a man's name, and it can be a common last name too, making Alyssa's search even harder. Later in her journey, Alyssa learned that as she was scanning, she had flown right past her birth father in one of those yearbooks, but she didn't know his name, so he remained anonymous among the digital pages. Alyssa searched off and on for years, never telling anyone that she was looking. I had never seen any paperwork or anything, and actually my original name, I was spelling it wrong. I did not know how it was spelled, so all those years I was searching, I was searching for the wrong spelling of my first name. And sadly, one of my biological relatives actually posted in April 2011, so I had been 18 for almost a year. I was born in June of 1992. In April 2011, when I was starting to search in college, one of my relatives posted on an adoption form looking for me under the correct spelling. So I would not find that post for nine more years. Wow. Had I known how it was spelled and my birth mother's name was attached to that post, had I known, I would have found it when I was 18 years old. Oh my gosh, the craziness of just the misspelling, how far off track it can take an adoptee in their journey is crazy. Wow. It, it's over, yeah, and I never thought to ask my mom how it was spelled. It's not a super common name. It's very beautiful, and I had only seen it spelled like two ways before, and the way it's spelled I had never seen. <laughs> I still have never seen it since. So yeah. It was posted when I was still a freshman in college, and I would have found it, but I didn't know that I was spelling it wrong. So that was a shock when I did eventually learn how it was spelled, because I just thought so much wasted time. Yeah, right. <laughs> that whole search could have been over years ago. Alyssa left college, worked some office jobs, then decided she wanted to go back and finish getting her degree. She enrolled in a public speaking course, but it was 2020. All courses were online as the COVID-19 pandemic forced us all into quarantine. So Alyssa's audiences for her speeches would have to be invited online to listen to her projects. For months, Alyssa had unloaded to her longtime boyfriend 
her decades of her feelings about adoption. After speaking with him, she decided she would do one of her public speaking assignments about adoptee rights to access their records, a subject she was very passionate about. I knew at a certain point that I needed to talk to my parents because maybe like they do know something. And when I was in this class, I thought, you know what, I'll do this argument. I'll do the speech in front of my parents because I'd love for them to hear it. And I thought maybe this is a perfect excuse for me to ask for my adoption papers. And in early February of 2020, you know, I just texted my parents in our, you know, our group chat between the three of us. I was like, hey, I'm doing a paper and a speech for that class. And I'm going to talk about adoptee rights. And I was wondering if I could see my adoption paperwork, like, can I have it, you know, because it's mine. And my mom was like, yeah, come and get it. So my boyfriend and I went after work one day. So it was, it was like the week of Valentine's Day in 2020. So it was maybe like a Tuesday. We went down to my parents' house and I didn't know what to expect. It was a box, what it was. And I have to admit this now, and I'm sure, you know, if my parents listen to this, I actually used to try to break into their safe to go and find my adoption paperwork because I knew that's where it was. And when I was young, just sometimes I would try to open it, but I couldn't figure out how to use the lock. And (laughs) I used to try to open it with all the different things that I could think of. And it never worked. Yeah, we've all um, and that... It's so funny. We have all scraped and scavenged and searched and known where the box was and couldn't find something tall enough to get to it or whatever the challenge was. So you're not the only one. That's funny. <laughs> I had done that over the years when I lived with them. And I, I just was like, I, I don't know how to actually work a safe. So just forget it. But then my boyfriend, you know, he really encouraged me, like, just ask them. So I sort of used the speech as a ruse and I went over there and my dad handed me one of those like folders that is kind of, it's clear on the top. So you can see the document inside and on the back, you know, has like a a safe covering. I don't know who did that. It's, it's well put together. I'm assuming it's my dad because it's very much his style to have everything be orderly. And it was just one folder. And I was like, wow, that's, that's it. I kind of expected a little bit more, but that was, that was it. And on the front page, it was kind of like the actual adoption decree. And there is a photograph in there, you know, just like a picture of me, my mom and dad and their adoption attorney in, you know, the lawyer's office. And I was like, wow, okay, like this is it. And my parents were like, okay, well, this is cool. Like, good luck with your speech. And they were like, well, we haven't looked at these documents in years. Like, honestly, I truly believe they probably had not looked at it in 20 years. I just, I don't know. It was just living in the safe. And when I opened the folder, my mom said, oh, there's a bracelet in there from the hospital when you were born. And it was like a little beaded bracelet, you know, with the different letters to spell out the baby's name and that was the first time I realized my name was not spelled how I thought it was and I was like wow (laughs) wow. and it it hit me and I was like well that's why I never maybe that's why I never got any hits and I just was like okay I put it in my backpack and you know my parents were like there's a letter in there from your birth mother and I was like 
oh really and, and my mom was like yeah we haven't read it in a long time but I'm you know I'm sure it'll make you cry and it was a little weird like they weren't I think my parents you know they're just uncomfortable sometimes it's uncomfortable like you know to talk about it you know they they especially them they came from the era when people didn't even know they were adopted you know so it's uncomfortable for them and they've made me uncomfortable and I've made them uncomfortable because I'm pretending everything is fine but they were like yeah this is yours and my mom told me and my boyfriend she said well you know I asked Alyssa when she was 18 if she wanted the paperwork and I truly don't remember that but I was still pretty much in denial about how everything had felt, you know, for me and what I had experienced that it's probably true that I told her I didn't want it because she said, yeah, you said you weren't, you didn't want to look or whatever. And I probably wasn't ready to admit to her that I wanted to do that at 18. But at this point I was 27. So a lot of time had passed and I, you know, I felt ready and that was it. We went home and I took it into my room and I was sitting at my desk and I was like, okay, babe, like I told my boyfriend, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to look through it. And he was like, all right, you know, <laughs> he just, he, he's been so great. And he just let me have a moment. And uh, this is, this is when it gets crazy because so I, I was, you know, adopted the old fashioned way. It was a closed adoption. You know, I only know her first name. She doesn't, she didn't even know my name had been changed. She didn't know my family's last name. I did learn that day that my mom and dad had met her and like had spoken to her face to face along with her with my birth mother's her mother and I guess I had maybe heard that before but hadn't remembered it but they did meet her so they knew what she looked like and I had asked my mom once not too long before I got my paperwork I said do you think you would recognize her if you saw her again and she's like probably so I was at home and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to look through this and see a bunch of non-identifying information, which I did just, you know, very generic stuff. My birth father was literally a tiny paragraph at the bottom, him and his mother, <laughs> you know, it was, it was what I expected. You know, I had been listening to your show and I had been really sort of, you know, immersing myself in the adoptee world. So I knew what to expect. I was like, okay, like I've already been told so many times you're not getting a name. It's going to be hard to find it. I always figured I'm going to have to probably hire a private investigator, maybe do, you know, DNA testing, that kind of thing. And I was looking through the paperwork and I'm seeing, you know, just basic stuff about her and her family. And then there's, you know, you know, interviews with my parents, which was really crazy. And just a lot of stuff about them 30 years ago and, you know, their, their pursuit of having a child and, how they decided to adopt me being biracial. They actually had to do some level of like diversity training courses and stuff. I mean, very early nineties, mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of it would make us cringe, but they were put through some educational courses about, you know, you're adopting a child that isn't your same race and you're going to have, you're going to, you know, face challenges and stuff like that. That's so I guess here. I, I don't know that I've yeah. heard many people say that their parents were put in some level of diversity training. That's fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, my parents actually, I didn't know, but in the paperwork, it mentioned that apparently our local news uh, back in like late 
1991 had done a piece about the Children's Home Society and about Black and biracial children who being less likely to be adopted than white children. And my parents felt like, oh, well, you know, that's, that's horrible. Like maybe, you know, we're looking to adopt. Maybe that is something that we should do. So that's kind of how they came to that agency, I guess, and how they came around to the idea of adopting a biracial child. And it was interesting. I, I was kind of surprised by that because, you know, we are in the South and <laughs> it was a long time ago. I didn't think mm-hmm. that an agency would be any level of competent, at least at explaining that to, you know, people that adopting a biracial child is not the same as adopting someone that you could pass off as your own child. Like you won't ever be able to do that. And in the paperwork, I'm reading through this and just sort of seeing like their family and there were interviews with my, my adoptive, you know, aunts and uncles and my grandparents. And I knew all of that, that everyone had been interviewed and, you know, everyone was like super excited, you know, to have, have me come into the family. And then I came across the letter from my birth mother and it was handwritten. It was in cursive. And the first thing I thought was, this looks so much like my handwriting. Wow. And... It was a really heartfelt letter. I mean, I felt sadness. I could sense some anger from her in it, not towards my family, but towards the situation. And in the letter, she talked about hoping that one day I will want to meet her because she was my mother. And, you know, she hoped one day that we would basically see each other again and hope that my parents would tell her that I, that she loved me and cared about me and that, you know, she really didn't want to do this. It was a lot. It was front and back. The front page, you know, I'm kind of crying and reading it and having to take pauses. And I'm like, how, you know, I'm thinking, God, how am I ever going to find this woman? And I turn the page and at the end of it, you know, she's like, just telling me, I, you know, I love her and please take care of my daughter. And she signed her name, her full name, first, middle, last. I was stunned. I I don't know. I do not know if that was an accident, like an oversight by whoever gave my parents that paperwork. I don't know if someone was being an angel and left that in there. I have no idea. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> like that's it was her first middle last name. And I thought, I've got her. Like, this is great. I was thinking, okay, like no matter what, we know what she was being called in 1992, right? Alyssa went straight to Google, opening one tab with her own birth name, correctly spelled, and what would have been her last name at the time, because it was her birth mother's last name. Then she opened a separate tab where she entered her birth mother's first, middle, and last name. The very first link that came up on the tab with Alyssa's birth name was for the site findmyfamily.org. Alyssa's aunt, her birth mother's younger sister, had been looking for her. It looked like she had added facts about the young woman she was searching for as best as she could remember them, but some of the facts about Alyssa's birth were a little off the mark. Her birth month was off by one. It said July 1992 instead of June. The city where Alyssa was born said Jacksonville instead of Orange Park. Alyssa figured the aunt was looking for her covertly, hadn't spoken to her sister, the birth mother, about the facts, and therefore got a few things slightly wrong. Thankfully, her aunt had left her full name in her post. 
Unfortunately, her last name is one of the most common last names a person could have, so Alyssa's search for her got really complex. She had no clue how she would find the woman who had left the post online, but Alyssa did know that this woman cared for her, and she had to find her. In that second Google tab, with her birth mother's unique name, Alyssa got hits for only three women. Somehow, she could tell that one of them wasn't right. This lady lived far away in Hawaii, and it just seemed like a stretch. Through her research, she was able to tell that the woman who posted on findmyfamily.org had lived with a woman with her birth mother's name, and periodically, they lived in the same places. And I also, from the non-identifying information, knew that my birth mother had a half-sister who was about two years older than, two years younger than her. And they also seemed to be moving in tandem for a time. And I finally was able to sort of figure out, I think this is her. So my birth mother has since married and her name had been changed. And thankfully, when she got married, her name was super unique. So I was really able to sort of follow her. And I kind of isolated this woman and thought, I think this is her. And actually... That night, I found a phone number for that woman, and I called it, and it went to voicemail, and she has a voicemail with her personal greeting. And when it played, I just felt like, I think this is her. I don't know how to explain it. I just, it was the voice. It was, it just hit me, and I thought, I think this is her, but I didn't know. She didn't have, like, social media. She didn't have a Facebook, but she did have a LinkedIn. (laughs) And luckily on LinkedIn, you can, like, click on people's pictures and it, you know, it comes up bigger. And I took a screenshot of it. And the next day at work, I sent the picture to my mom and I said, do you think this is her? And, you know, it wasn't like the best quality picture. It obviously had been a lot of time, but my mom was like, I, I think so. And she said, did you contact her? And I said, no, <laughs> I'm like, I'm watching from afar right now, trying to figure out my best move. My mom was like, well, do you think you found her? And I was like, yeah, I do. It took me about, it took me an hour to find everything, about two hours to be sure, as sure as I could be that I had found her that first night. Wow. That so, oh my gosh. Yeah. It was overwhelming just because I had enough from the non-identifying information. I knew enough about her family to feel like these have to be the same people. They're living together at certain points. They're moving together. This, This has to be them. And when I was looking at her information of where my birth mother had lived, she was always living so close to me. I mean, shockingly close. And. She was working at one point at a a vet clinic down the street from my adoptive aunt's house that I would pass all the time. Like, it was shocking. I thought, if this is her, it's so sick and cruel because she's been so close all this time. Alyssa really wanted to find the woman who posted that she was looking for her. But in just one night of searching, she found her birth mother. Later that week, Alyssa found one of her birth mother's stepsisters on Facebook, and they had one friend in common, a young woman Alyssa had gone to middle school with. It was odd that this older woman, a stepsister to her birth mother, would be Facebook friends with one of her own childhood friends. Scanning the woman's Facebook profile, she could tell the lady seemed normal with a family, so Alyssa looked up her phone number. 
She was hesitant to reach out to this stranger, especially considering maybe not everyone knows her birth mother had a child that she gave up for adoption. So I'm very much a numbers person and like I very superstitious. And I thought, okay, today's Valentine's Day, like maybe it'll bring some good luck. I'll call her. And I planned to like go home and do it thoughtfully. And I just couldn't wait. I was on my lunch break. I called this woman's house number and her husband picked up and I said can I talk to I knew her name so I said can I talk to her and he said oh she's not home right now and I panicked I was just silent and he said I can take a message for her and I said I just paused for a long time and I said I'm so sorry I should not have called and I hung up and I knew my heart was racing and I was like that was so dumb like now I look crazy I shouldn't have done that I should have waited and I went back to work, went to my desk, and about 10 minutes after I sat back down, my phone rang. And it was a different phone number than the one I had called, but I knew it was this woman, right? I just had a feeling. And I picked up my phone, and I thought, okay, here we go. And I went outside with my phone, and I answered the phone, and I said, you know, hello. And she said, hi, my husband just said that you called asking for me. Who is this? And I told her, I said, oh, this is Alyssa. <laughs> Because I didn't, you know, I was just like, I, I don't know what to say to her. So I go outside and she's like, okay, Alyssa, uh, like, what, how can I help you? And I said, I'm looking for her sister, you know, her sister's name, because it was her half sibling as well as my birth mother's half sibling. I said, I'm looking for her. And she said, well, I, I'm not really in contact with her right now. I, I have a way to relay messages to her, but like, I need to know what you're calling about. And I was like, you know, panicking because I'm thinking, I don't, I can't just tell her, you know, I was adopted. Like, that's so weird. Like, this isn't a movie. I can't just be like, well, I was adopted and I'm looking for my birth mother. And she was pretty nice, but you could, I could tell she was getting kind of annoyed just because I wasn't telling her why I was calling, but she didn't hang up. And after a little bit, I was, we were just kind of going back and forth. And I was just like, look, I'm sorry, I should not have called, you know. And she's like, like, what, what are you trying to find her for? And I said, I, you know, I said, basically, your sister posted on a website looking for me, and I'm just trying to find her. And she was silent. And then she asked me, she said, were you adopted? Just like that. And, you know, I'm so used to being on defense about it that I just was like, yes, like kind of angrily, you know, cause I, I don't know. You're just so used to being defensive about it. And she repeated it. She said, you're adopted like that. And her voice completely changed. And I said, yes. And I started crying. And the next thing she said to me was, oh my God, Alyssa, she's been trying to find you. And she referred to my birth mother by name. And we both just started crying. I was like standing outside of my job, just sobbing into the phone and she was stunned and she knew exactly who I was. And I said, you know, I'm sorry. I don't want to like ruin her life. I don't, you know, I don't know anything about her. I, and I told her I'm only 27 years old. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And she said, no, no, she's been trying to find you for a long time. And she just, she couldn't, you know, she didn't know anything. She didn't know my name. And 
Yeah. And she, the, one of the first things she told me was she did not want to do this. She did not want to give you up. She loved you so much. She tried so hard to keep you. And she said, you know, our family had so many issues and she's like, it's basically trying to alleviate me of, you know, the, the feeling that, you know, it was my fault or that, you know, I wasn't wanted. It was, it was amazing. And like I said, she's a mother of two, two kids who are now like preteens and teenagers but she immediately sort of stepped into mother mode and <laughs> calmed me down. And she actually was at a friend's house when I had called her husband and her husband thought my call was weird. And he called her and said, Hey, someone called looking for your sister. And he said, I think you need to call her back. Like he could just feel something was weird about it. And she did. And I and I asked her, I said, you know, I'm sorry I was being so evasive. I didn't know what to say. And she said, I didn't know either. She said, but I had this feeling something told me to ask you about the adoption. Like, I don't know if part of her was waiting for it. And she at the time was actually with a friend of hers who <laughs> ironically had been adopted as a child. And she said, you don't understand. I'm with a friend of mine who was adopted and we were just talking about her attempt to find her birth parents and you're calling me wow. <laughs> and it was it was goosebumps <laughs> they were both crying and she was overwhelmed and i didn't tell her at the time that i already knew my birth mother's phone number and where she lived and everything mm -hmm. i didn't want to you know come across weird and i i said you know i i don't want to upset my birth mother's life and she told me no you're you're not and she told me that she's married and she's living in another state Alyssa's birth mother was married but Alyssa was uncertain about how to proceed she wanted to be connected to her birth mother but she didn't want to interrupt the woman's life with the surprise of her return what if her birth mother hadn't told her husband that she had had a child when she was younger and she placed her baby girl for adoption if you know her half-sister reaches out to her and sort of breaks the news gently and I could just tell from minute one that the woman I contacted that she was a good person I could just tell you know and we still have a relationship to this day and I just spoke with her yesterday she I could just tell that this woman was gonna come in and help and she was that sort of go-between third party for us for a while and I'll be thankful to her forever for that yeah for sure. And she, I was at work and I actually, I, I told her, he said, I, I said, I don't, I don't know if my birth mother knows my name. I said, does she know my name now? And she said, no, I, I don't think she does. And I said, and it was sort of this pause moment. And I knew once I told her my, my name, my real name now, like it was sort of like that veil being lifted. And I told her, you know, I said, I'm Alyssa. And I said my last name and I have a very unique last name. It's Russian and it's, it's, people can't really pronounce it. And as soon as I said it, she said, okay, let me get a pen and let me write that down. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, that's my name. And she, she called me by my original name. Like she called me Alyssa, but she said, yeah, you know, I remember, you know, you by your original name. I was like, yeah, well, this is who I am now. And she looked at, she must've looked at her phone and she said, are you, you're calling me from a Jacksonville number? And I was like, yeah, I, I live in this neighborhood. And she said, oh my God, like you're still here. Like, and 
I actually already knew where this woman lived and I passed this aunt's house every single day when I drove home from high school four years. Oh my she God. lived on a main street. I right there, right there. I've seen her house hundreds of times. My mom worked very close to her. Like, and actually as a side note, my mom and her her not so far removed. And in fact, one of my father's best men in his wedding is a friend of this woman, like very close. It's in, yeah, in such a big city. (laughs) And yeah, like it, it was just very strange. We had so many people in common and where this woman lives. I've have friends that live right down the street. Like I, I couldn't believe it. Like we've been so close. I've seen, I've probably seen her outside her house tons of times. That first conversation was 45 minutes long as Alyssa stood outside of her job in the middle of the workday. The woman reached out to Alyssa's birth mother to share whom she had been on the phone with that afternoon. When the woman hung up the phone, she looked Alyssa up on Facebook and immediately texted back, how beautiful Alyssa was and that she had her birth mother's smile. Alyssa texted her boyfriend to let him know she had spoken with her aunt, everything was okay, and she felt like she was about to speak with her birth mother soon. When she finally saw him later that night, Alyssa broke down and cried. Alyssa admitted she didn't know what she might find in reunion, but of all the things she had wondered about her birth mother, at least she knew the woman was still alive. And I guess the most important fact is my birth mother never had any other children. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting that. I was fully prepared for her to have, you know, gone on to have had children. No, I'm her only child. And that was, that was a lot. That was overwhelming. I think, you know, it, it added to the sadness. And certainly later when I told my parents about, Finding her, my mother sort of pulled me aside and she said she never had any other children. And I could just hear like the sadness in my mom's voice, you know, recognizing that she only ever had one child and she had to, you know, give her away. That was, that was a lot. Selfishly, I was kind of happy because all her attention would be on me. At the same time, you just, you know, sadness because how tragic to have had a kid and to never experience any of the joys of that you know really just the sorrow and yeah that was valentine's day and that later that evening my aunt texted me and she said i have talked she texted her and unfortunately i kind of did have bad timing because at that um, time my birth mother was going through some issues kind of a family crisis with her father's side of her biological family but she was still aware of what happened and she was happy so she was kind of torn at that moment you know but luckily she did find out that evening and my aunt sent her a picture of me and you know you know my my aunt and now we were texting that night and I did send her a few pictures that I have at my house of me when I was first with my parents and she was just like you you know your parents look so happy and just to be able to to tell her, you know, that she said, you know, we, we worried about you, you know, hoping you had a good family, you know, regardless of what, all the things I wish maybe 
that my parents would have done differently to help me. I I think, you know, I, I have suffered a lot, but I'm still so much luckier than most people. <laughs> and, um, you know, just to know that there's, you know, I was safe. And I actually, one of the things my aunt, remarked on was I told her where I went to high school which was you know the Catholic high school close to her home and she said you know when you told me that you went to that high school she said I her first thought was oh my god she went to great schools and like her you know she thank god you had a good life like I hope you had a good life and that was you know that was her thought as a mother was just relief you know and what kind of all that that entail you know my parents trying to you know get me a good education and doing things for me and and I did I assured her I'm like yeah like my parents are really good people they're still you know they're still married they married a long time and I have a sister you know through them and it was a very overwhelming day (laughs) and I I feel kind of bad. I kind of ruined my aunt's Valentine's Day with her kids. She's <laughs> because she she told her sons and they were like preteens. She said, "Can we do Valentine's tomorrow?" <laughs> Mommy's upset and they were like, "Why are you crying?" <laughs> and she was like, "It's happy tears, guys. Like you don't even know because I mean, they I it was overwhelming and her husband was in shock because he had he's the one who started all of it you know he's the one who told her you need to call this girl back and he was completely stunned that that's that's who I was and that's the call because he was just like that that was her <laughs> and I'm so thankful to him for picking up on it and sure. at least having the thought to say you know what I don't really know what's going on here but this feels important, you know, and she has been so great to me and just so kind and understanding. And she, she's amazing. And I'm so happy that I reached out to her first. I really am. I feel like that is, I just had an instinct to do it. And my instincts were right, that this is a a healthy, strong, kind mother you know and I just felt like if anyone that I can trust in this situation it's her. Once Alyssa's aunt got her birth mother on the phone she was able to calm the woman down and reassure her that while Alyssa wanted to know her she should take time to take care of herself and the situation with her own father. She conveyed that Alyssa was fine and she understood that her birth mother was preoccupied with what was going on in her own life. Her aunt learned that Alyssa's birth mother had confided in her husband that she had placed a child for adoption, so the man knew Alyssa was out there somewhere. Alyssa's aunt suggested that her birth mother send Alyssa an email, but with everything going on, Alyssa wasn't sure when she'd get a message from her birth mother. So she decided to make a casual video of herself to say hi. I was in a hoodie, and I just talked to the camera about my day. I was just talking about oh, you know, I just had a regular day and I just said, you know, I hope this video reaches you and just want you to know like I'm a normal person and, 
you know, I know you're afraid and you're probably afraid of me, but you don't have to be because it's, I'm just Alyssa, like, you know, <laughs> and I posted it on my YouTube channel. I'm not a YouTuber, but I had one because of that class I was in. So I posted it on my public YouTube channel and I sent the link to my aunt and I said, Hey, why don't you send this to her? Like, I'm just chilling in it. I'm just being normal and maybe it'll just like put her at ease. And she sent it to my birth mother and my birth mother watched it like 15 times like that night like just my I can actually see my analytics on YouTube and it was coming from like one user wow. <laughs> oh my god that's so funny and she, it really helped her and she was like that's my daughter like I can't believe it and my it's funny because in the uh, video I mentioned that I had tried to eat a kiwi with a fork that day it just I was just rambling just trying to be normal and I said normally I keep my own spoons on me but I ran out so I had to use a fork from our work kitchen and my aunt texted me and she goes you're her daughter she goes your mother used to carry spoons with her when we were young to eat yogurt and she didn't want to use plastic spoons or spoons from other people and i was like yeah that's me that is so funny of all the random connections that you two could feel <laughs> the spoon is hysterical that's really cute and after i posted that video she watched it like every day <laughs> and just kind of getting her, her, I think just her courage up. And by the, by the end of the next week, she sent me an email and it was actually kind of a brief email, but at the time I was kind of like, Oh, like, is she not into it? But I think she just didn't want to overload me and she was afraid. Right. And I'm so similar in the sense that I'll sit and edit something to the point where it's basically a husk of what it was. <laughs> yeah. Right. And she just said, I'm so glad that you connected with me. I'm so glad that you reached out to my aunt. She says she's the perfect person. She said, I'm so proud that you're my daughter. And, you know, like, I want to communicate with you. And that night I started emailing her and just kind of telling her about my life. And I, I realize now that I definitely was like a little over eager and just sharing a lot, you know, because I, you know. I was just excited and just in shock that she was talking to me. And I never thought I would talk to her. And she told me a little bit about her family and where she was living. And I definitely freaked her out early on because she is living in another state in the South. And I had lived in that state for a year and a half. And I actually have passed her home like 30 times. We lived off the same highway. I lived in a town about an hour and a half away from her. Not even an hour, maybe like an hour north of her. And when I would travel back from Florida back up to where I was living there, I would pass the exit to her house. She lived, she and I lived so close, so close. It, it was scary. That's crazy. Wow. We were always, and it's funny because during those drives, I moved to the state when I was in my early to mid twenties. And during those drives, sometimes, you know, I would be alone driving from Florida up to North Carolina and I would think about her and I was passing her house, you know, all that whole time. And I had no idea she was right there. Right after Alyssa found her birth mother, 
COVID quarantine separated everyone from each other. About two weeks after they started emailing one another, Alyssa and her birth mother had their first phone call. They agreed to speak at 6 p.m. on a Sunday. Before the call, Alyssa changed clothes to feel better about the first impression she was about to make, almost like she was preparing for a job interview. She called me and, you know, it was just so strange to hear her say my name, Alyssa, and we talked for over two hours that first time. It was a lot. I mean, it became very clear early on that she loved me. You know, she told me, she did tell me she loved me. And, and I, it just became clear that I, I thought, I can't believe I'm living in a situation where I'm one of those lucky ones where my birth mother, like, wants to know me. Like, she literally is ecstatic to know me. Like, I felt like this can't even be real because I had been prepping myself for rejection and for things to not work out. And we talked on the phone and she was, it, it was just like, I knew like this woman is my mother, you know, I could just feel it. And even her voice, you know, I, I was, you know, I was adopted. I went home with my parents when I was five months old and I was legally adopted in March of 1993. I don't remember any of that time with her because I did live with her family for a little while. But when I heard her voice, it was, you know, the voice of someone who was slightly older, but I just, I knew it was her, you know, and I don't know how else to explain it. It just, I knew that that was my mother and that was the voice that I had heard like years ago. It was like just somewhere deep inside of my memory we talked about everything and you know, I told her about my, my family and my parents and that I had a sister and I told her, you know, I'd pretty much been in Jacksonville ever since. And I always knew I was adopted and my parents told me, you know, I, I assured her like my parents did tell me that you loved me and everything. It was never framed like, you know, I wasn't wanted or anything. Just, it was that typical adoption sort of fairy tale story where it's like, well, your mother loved you so much. She wanted you to have a better life, which was problematic definitely as time went on because there was a lot more to it than that but you know I think it was a comfort to her to know that like I didn't hate her I wasn't angry I was just really confused you know and I think something important that I want to mention is that you know I was adopted in the 90s I grew up in the 2000s like I knew by middle school that it had to be more than just my mom was young and didn't have money because I knew kids who had single parents or who were being raised by their grandparents or aunts and uncles. Like I knew there was something more going on than just my mom was young because I certainly knew a lot of people whose parents were young. And that was definitely some of the questions that I had for her, you know, why did this happen? But I, I didn't want to overload her when we first spoke, you know, like yeah. she, you know, thankfully she had her husband and he did know about everything. He, he was very supportive of her, you know, meeting me and trying to find me and everything, you know, with what information she had. And she told me, I tried to find you. Like I tried to reach out to the adoption agency, which unfortunately, like most people, our adoption agency is less than benevolent. Growing up, I remember my mom telling me that 
she would send pictures of me as I was growing up to the agency with a letter about how I was doing. And the agency was like, oh, the birth mother doesn't want these anymore. And my birth mother told me that when she would call, they would tell her, like, they didn't send anything. Just move on with your life. So... I don't think I'll ever get over that. And unfortunately, no one will ever be held accountable for that. And I'm so far from alone in that experience. And it just breaks my heart because had things been different, I think in my heart, you know, my parents, if it was possible, we could have had a relationship of some sort. It didn't have to be that she gave me away and never saw me again. It didn't have to be like that. And it it served no one (laughs) in the end. It really served no one any good. Not me, not my parents, not my birth mother. And that that's really hard. And I'm very angry about that. I'm angry for her. I'm angry for me. Because my my parents, they would have they would have loved to, even if it was just pictures or, you know, they would have done something. They would they never would have not tried they never would have shut her out. So there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of people with, I feel like, blood on their hands when they do things like that, you know, to to us. You know, I, I just, I don't know what purpose that serves. Right. Yeah, I know. And I think, you know, it is a subscription to a prior mentality about trying to completely cut ties and leave people with this notion that, you know, you can start your life over and that baby's a clean slate that has nothing to do w- with you. You didn't nurture the child, so you're not connected. So just you move on. The child's moved on. Let's everybody just forget it and, and we'll move on to the next one. And mm-hmm. you know, modern times have shown that that is, you know, research and the plethora of adoptee opinions that have come out and voices that are speaking in the space will all share you know, the trauma that is part of adoption and the separation, and it's just not true. And, you know, that that research goes back decades. So I think it's just a subscription to a bygone era. Because of COVID, the pair didn't meet for nine months. Ironically, the time it takes to gestate a child, Alyssa pointed out. On Thanksgiving of 2020, Alyssa and her boyfriend drove up to Alyssa's birth mother's house in North Carolina. She texted her birth mother along the way, letting her know they were getting close. Alyssa could tell from the texts her birth mother was getting nervous. When they pulled into the driveway, her birth mother was standing outside. She's much shorter than me. She's only 5'2", and I'm like 5'6", and that was a shock because my adoptive mother is like 5'10", so I'm used to being around taller people. And she was so tiny and dressed all in black, which is very much my style. And she was outside of her driveway, couldn't wait. And we pulled up. And I mean, when we were driving up, I gripped my boyfriend's hand and I was like, you know, this is it. (laughs) And I got out of the car and she just gave me a hug and she started crying and I was crying and everybody was crying. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I presented her actually a huge portrait of me as a like four-year-old you know I was an only child with my adoptive parents and I had a lot of photo shoots and when I was going up to North Carolina my my dad and my mom were like oh you should give her this giant portrait that had always been on our wall and they're like we have so many more we have like the originals you should give it to her and I was like this is huge like this is like giving her the portrait of a dictator (laughs) right here's my grand portrait of me on a horse (laughs) victory after battle right (laughs) 
And they were like, no, she'll love it. And she did. She was really happy and surprised. And I was like, yeah, my parents were like, she'll love it. And she's like, I will. And when we went back over to her house um, for Thanksgiving Day, she had already put it up in her, her room. And so, yeah, I was sort of surprised. I'm like, you already put it up? And she's like, of course. Like, But yeah, we went in her home. And I mean, just to be in my mother's home was wild you know like all her things and her pictures and just I couldn't believe it I just was in shock that she was a real person and like she really lives here and I had thoughts of course I thought well what would it have been like you know if I lived here you know what would my life be like if she was my mother you know because she was much younger than my adoptive parents and it just would have been a different experience you know having a single mom and you know maybe she wouldn't have the life that she had then but yeah. you know that's one of the things that i think we have to be cognizant of is if different decisions were made back when we were conceived and the plan was made for us to be placed everybody's life would be different you wouldn't have had the experience with white parents isolation white community but you know, all of the schools that she was hopeful that you ha would go to, you know, the what she perceives as a good education at a Catholic school and possibly, you know, the connection to the arts that you ended up with. Like, just all of those things might have been drastically different. She may have recognized that you had artistic capability, but would she necessarily have had, you know, their resources as a single mother to get you into an artistic school that would cultivate mm -hmm. that? You know, every single piece of both of your journeys would be drastically different. Her struggle might have been so much harder. She may have never met the man that she knows and loves now who is accepting of your presence in the world. She may have met somebody completely different who was, frankly, not as awesome. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's just so much to think about when it comes to how would my life have been different had I been here because it's way more than just like what we see and, potenti and potentially imagine in the moment. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of pieces that are moving that, you know, the gears wouldn't link up the way that they do now. It would be a different, it would be a completely different scenario for everybody involved. Absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be who I am and I wouldn't have met the people that I have. And I think this is the only life that I know. I don't know anything else. Um, but to have gone through this, and I wish sometimes that I could have maybe one day, I don't have this pain, like, hanging over me, but this is my life. Like, there is no option, and I've, I've always, in my mind, sometimes I'll think, why me? And the second I think that, I think, why not? Why not you? Like, somebody is going to be adopted on this earth and is going to go through this, so why not you? And, you know, sometimes I'll respond back to that in my mind thinking, well, it hurts so much. And I'm like, well, that's, why not? Why not you, Alyssa? Like, there are worse things. And I, I do think that. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of us adoptees, we are so used to saying, well, it could be worse. There are worse things. There are worse lives. And we sort of ignore the pain that we have because we're told from outside sources and we tell ourselves that, well, at least I had this and you know, I wasn't in foster care and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in a home where I wasn't wanted, but you know, I, 
I have to really stop myself from saying, why me? Because it's, the answer is really like, why not you? That's really interesting. Yeah, you're right too. We do sort of question why we get the pain that we're dealt as adoptees. But frankly, as you've said, why not you? Because the same way that you haven't had to struggle with, say, a physical incapability or a chronic mm -hmm. disease or, you know, you grew up in a, what sounds like a great family. You weren't abused in any way that you've identified, right? Like there's so many other mm -hmm. things that folks who are not adoptees who grew up in traditional families don't, they experience certain things and we experience certain things and the, the, fact that we're adopted sometimes puts a lens on it that makes us think, why did this happen to me? But yes, I do not want to minimize the fact that having been brought back together with your biological mother makes you realize, man, this, this was a totally different life that I might have yeah. led. And, and that separation from the woman from whom I came is a very real pain. I don't want to minimize that at all. It's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to even fathom. And it's a hard thing for non-adoptees to even understand fully, but we live it every day. It's really crazy. So where are you guys now? How are things after Thanksgiving and stuff? Well, so for a while it was okay. You know, when I was there at her home, we did have a time for several hours. We sat upstairs in her bonus room and she and I had like, a talk and I didn't I'll never be able to ask her all the questions I have because I, I I just could write a book with everything that I want to know but after I heard her story you know a lot of things that I sort of suspected were confirmed it was hard because there's a part of me that is very closed off and I care about my birth mother very much I always will I always have and I told her you know I have been so worried about you you worried about me but I'm I'm out here thinking well I hope this woman who gave up her child is literally okay. You know, I've been worried about you every day, you know, whether I was thinking about it consciously or not, you know, and I care about her. She's not a bad person. You know, she's just someone who's been through a lot. And like we just talked about, you know, the things she's lived through, I, I couldn't imagine. She's just been through so much and you know, no one gives up their child for adoption because their life is great and perfect. You know, something is fundamentally not okay. And I knew that going in. And I think I also kind of did that thing that I had always been doing where I tried to be like, everything is fine. You know, I wanted to have a relationship with her over maybe wanting to be right <laughs> or assert some of my feelings. And when I kind of did become a little more honest she didn't really take it that well and she got upset and I think it's just because she's she's so afraid of losing me you know but I'm not really going to get into all that happened because I mean she knows what happened but we basically by April of 2021 it had been you know over a year since we had been in communication we had a disagreement over some things really pertaining to her family and you know she got upset with me and I really just sort of 
stood my ground and was like, no, you know, I, you need to know this because I, I don't owe your family anything. Um, they don't owe me anything either. And, you know, it's hard. I don't have that biological connection to human beings. Like I always say to my boyfriend, I'm like, I just feel like adoptees are just different types of animals. Like, of course I have connections and I love my family and I've loved friends and everything. And I have, you know, relationships, but I don't understand that blood tie. Like when people talk about this is my blood, this is my family, that isn't, that means nothing to me. You know, it's things I see in a movie. It's not my life. And I feel like I'm a people pleaser with my parents, but also when it's necessary, I will definitely (laughs) assert my opinion and my voice. You know, I try to keep it as real as I can, especially as I've gotten older. I definitely listen to that voice that's like, nope, fight back on that. Or like, you know, make a remark to that. And I think my birth mother was very much in a space where she's just been through so much trauma that acknowledging some of the things that her family may have put her through and the way it's affected her and in my life, I just think that she's not in a place where she can do that. She might never be in a place where she can do that. And I knew at that point I need to take a step back and I really and an avoidant, you know, I kind of also avoid like having to tell people I don't want to talk to them. I kind of just blocked her, <laughs> blocked her phone number. And we just didn't talk for the rest of the year. And I spoke with her in December 1, 2021. And I didn't really get the, I'd say apology, but I guess I didn't see the growth that I was hoping for, like with that time that we didn't talk. And we last spoke in January of this year. And um, we got into an argument again. And I think this time, you know, I was pretty, I was pretty upset with her. And, and of course, I basically told her, like, look, I have to protect me. Like, this whole adoption thing, it really isn't about me. And that's something that is hard maybe for a non-adoptee to understand. Like, it's about my birth mother having a baby and not being prepared and her family not accepting it. And my birth father's family, they didn't accept it. And it's about trying to get rid of a problem. And then it's about my adopted parents wanting a baby. And it's about an adoption agency wanting money. It doesn't really feel like it's about me. So I'm going to go ahead right now and make it about me. Like, I have to protect my spirit and my self and my heart because no one else is going to do it appropriately. So I have to. And I, at that point, just knew I need to take a step back and not communicate with her. It doesn't mean that I don't, you know, care for her. I, I do. I mean, I think, I think about her every single day. Like, I don't know if I could ever go one day without thinking about her now. I mean, that was one thing I kind of picked up on from listening to your show and, you know, being on adoptee Twitter and and just reading adoptee stories was like, once you, you know, once you meet them, then it's, then you have a second life, your life before where you don't know anything and you're just wondering about all the possibilities and then you meet them and then you have to figure out how do I go on living my life knowing what I know like what now and right now I'm just in a phase where I want to focus on my self and my my actual life my real life like who you know who I really am and I think that's sometimes what's hard is that all the drama surrounding my birth and and all of that is so so opposite of the life that I 
live and who I am. You know, I'm, I feel like both my birth parents, you know, I'm so cautious and I'm so scared to make a mistake and make a misstep. And here they have done something so big and so permanent and that can never be changed. And I am not like that at all, you know, and I also feel really fortunate. I'm like, you know, how lucky am I in a way to be able to like look at my birth families, both of them, because I, I have had contact with both sides of my birth families. And I see these people, I see the good and I see the bad. And like most people don't get to look at a bloodline like that and be separated from it. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to be like this, right? Like I'm not going to live my life like that or, you know, have these thought patterns. It's, it's hard because even now, like we're not talking and I still, I don't know, like I don't ever feel like I'll never talk to her again I just need to see something more than what I saw before like I've been to therapy you know I've read self-help books you know I I've struggled with you know depression but I I have to do the work like I I have no choice but to stare directly into the sun with my situation. And she hasn't really had to, you know, in her day-to-day -day life. And neither has my birth father and his family. But there's no option for me to look away. Like, I, I have always, from, you know, before you're, when you're a kid and you're so young, I always had to know that this happened to me. I had to deal with people's reactions to it. I had to figure it out on my, uh, you know, what I felt inside of myself. There's no option for me to ignore the hard stuff. Like, this is the hard stuff. Like, yeah. you know, there's, I can't, how could I look away? It's my life. So, one, I think you're absolutely right. You said, basically, I'm going to make it about me. Everything else has been about everybody else up until this point, And now you're right to be in a place of self-preservation. I think that's really powerful, and I like what you said about having to do the work. It's incredibly important, and it's a fact that sometimes we just have to face. Like, <laughs> this is a challenge. I'm not getting over it without putting in some effort. So let's, you know, let's start to dig in. So I, I really love to hear that you are seeking therapy, reading, you know, the things that you think will be valuable, finding resources like podcasts and stuff like that, and just trying to plow through what all of your feelings are and where they come from and where you'd like for them to be as opposed to perhaps where they are now. I think that's incredibly powerful. Alyssa admitted she was very hesitant to ask her birth mother about her birth father. Her birth mother did mention Alyssa's birth father in passing, commenting that Alyssa looked like him and that he was a funny guy, which was part of what made him attractive. Her birth mother shared that they met at work and he was a little younger than her. She told Alyssa he was aware of her birth because he and his mother were present at the adoption agency to sign away his parental rights. In May of 2020, her birth mother had been going through some old documents when she found Alyssa's birth father's old address in Jacksonville, Florida. With that information, Alyssa was able to find him in one hour of internet searching. I think his his connections to my family are maybe even scarier than hers because 
my adoptive aunt, my mom's sister, actually was an employee of my birth father's mother. She was her boss. And my aunt believes that she may have come to her wedding to my uncle like a couple years before I was born. Wow. That's unreal. Yes. Wow. And she actually, my aunt also worked alongside my birth father. She, it was a very long time ago and doesn't remember a lot. Just that they're actually, she's the same age as my birth mother. But yeah, they were very close. My dad has, he has like so many Facebook friends in common with my biological grandmother because they work in the same circles. But once I had his address, I knew his name. I knew his first, middle, and last name. And I had his address. And just like my birth mother, I found him and his birth mother seemed to be moving in tandem. And I found them. And I was a little hesitant about contacting him just from what I saw on Facebook. He didn't, not, nothing horrible, but I just wasn't sure about reaching out. And I finally was like, you know, I've come this far, I'll do it. So in May, I sent him a message on Facebook, but because we weren't friends, he couldn't see it. Like it was kind of buried in his, uh, his messages. So I tried to add him on Facebook and he actually <laughs> didn't know, like I'm a much younger girl and I'm trying to add this older man on Facebook. And he actually posted my like my friend request on his Facebook and it, his Facebook wall was public. And he was like, does anyone know this person? Like, who is this? <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. Oh, no. So I responded on his Facebook because it was public. I said, hi, I'm trying to message you, but I really can't. Cause we aren't friends. I said, I'm daughter. And immediately my message in DMS, he found it and it was read. And I had just written him. I said, hi, like, I know this is kind of weird. I said, I'm daughter. And, you know, basically, I think that you're my biological father. And he messaged me back and was like, where is your mother? And I was like, well, she's in, she lives in North Carolina. Like, I don't live with her because <laughs> I was, you know, adopted. And he was stunned. I think he was skeptical, which I, I can understand. It, you know, had been... To like 28 years at that point and he actually messaged my birth mother he must have seen something she posted on my Facebook but he also messaged my maternal aunt the woman I had first reached out to because she was posting on my wall and he was like are you birth mother's sister and my maternal aunt called me and was like, oh my gosh, is this birth father? And I was like, yeah, I'm trying to, you know, I, I didn't know he was going to message her, you and my birth mother. And I was kind of upset that he messaged my birth mother because they hadn't had a chance to warn her. And uh, my birth mother called me and was like, you know, she hadn't spoken to him in 28 years. You know, they hadn't seen, spoken to him, nothing. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I didn't know he was going to contact you. You know, I think he just doesn't know what's going on and he's, just being thrown right now and eventually we messaged um back and forth on facebook and he told like we talked for four or five months like kind of off and on and he remembered my birth name and remembered like seeing me like i think he only saw me once and 
you know, he did confirm that he was in a relationship with my birth mother, you know, and he remembered things about her and her family. And eventually he told his, his father about me. Now his father didn't know what had happened. My birth father was really young. He was an adult, but he was uh, really young when this happened. And his father, his parents were divorced, so his father never knew about it. Basically, it was him and his mother who knew. And his father reached out to me on Facebook and was like, hi, like, I just heard about you. You know, if you'd like to call me, you could. And and I've actually never spoken on the phone with my birth father. You know, I, I kind of tried, but it just, it didn't really work out with him. But my biological grandfather, I did call him. And he and I spoke on the phone for over two hours. He was incredibly kind and nice. He was stunned because he didn't know that I was born, but he was happy, you know, that I was there. And he did mention, you know, that he wasn't really in contact with my birth father that often. You know, they, I guess they've had their differences. And the same with um, my birth father's mother, which is his ex-wife. I do, through my birth father, have two siblings. I have two sisters. We look exactly alike, uncannily, even though they have a different mother. I don't really want to say too much about them because they are underage and everything. But just so you know, like he he does have two children, only two other children. It was really shocking. You know, when I saw their picture, I actually, I showed my mom <laughs> and my mom was like, that looks just like you. I mean, it's, it's, but I don't really have a relationship with my birth father at all. It's, I, the last time I spoke to him, he wanted to meet me. And, and I do believe he wants to meet me, you know, genuinely. And I told him, look, at that time I had just gone through sort of breaking off contact with my birth mother. And I told him, look, I'm not doing very well, you know, mentally right now. I've gone through a lot. These last year and a half has been insane. I do want to meet you one day. I'm just not ready. And he said, you know, basically, okay. And we haven't really talked since then, but I do talk to my grandfather, you know, his dad. I talk to him like every month. Well, like I'll, it's very nice. Like to, it's like calling, you know, your grandpa and we have like a long phone call usually on Sunday evenings and afternoons. And I do plan on meeting him. Alyssa has learned that she has a lot of cousins in Jacksonville. She joked that she's glad she never tried to date anyone in that city for fear of accidentally being attracted to one of her relatives. Alyssa has never had contact with either of her biological grandmothers, and she's okay with it. She figures that was a time in their lives that they've left in the past, and it's okay that they don't connect. Alyssa talks about how adoption feels to her and how she's doing now. I told my my adopted mother, I said, you know, being adopted there are times where it feels unsurvivable like you just it's incredible what has been asked of me you know adoption asks so much of you too much too much of a child too much for an adult but I can sleep at night because I know I didn't do anything wrong I've never done anything I didn't ask to be born I didn't ask to be adopted nobody in their right mind would and I think that you know certain parts of my birth family I wouldn't be surprised if it's a little tough sometimes for them to sort of reflect on what happened because especially with my birth father, you know, he he's black and his family's black. I know that they wouldn't want to be black by themselves. They wouldn't want to have grown up 
separated from black culture and black life i mean i got all the hard parts about being black but very few of the joyous parts the community you know the culture i there's so much that that was taken from me and i can never get it back you know i try to live my life now as much as i can but i'll never have a black family i'll never have i'll never have those experiences and i know that certainly my birth father and my and his mother you know i told him early on i was adopted by white people in the early 90s there wasn't really much of a chance i wouldn't be you know i have never experienced a genuine black life until i was an adult and made one for myself so they know that and i'm sure that you know i'm sure that they've thought about that and i would imagine if you asked them if they would want to live that they would say no yeah that's right but it's like you said before like why you, but also why not you, you know, it's, yeah. it's somebody's going to go through it and you sound like you have built the strength needed to face everything. And I love your self-advocacy and, and, you know, I'm sorry to hear that you haven't been able to maintain a relationship with your birth mother. I'm hopeful that time will heal that wound between both of you. And hopefully one day you'll get to be in touch with your birth father too. So, wow. Alyssa, this was unbelievable. You, you've brought <laughs> some, some gems to my lexicon for adoptees because you dropped some things on, in the early part of the interview that I'm definitely going to hold on to, <laughs> you know, isolation. And I mean, just so many things that I hadn't really put words to before. And I'm so grateful for you for being to you for being here. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm, I feel like I was just rambling. So I hope I've made some sort of sense. I have so many thoughts in my head and I, I'm just so like, I'm so glad that you do stuff like this because it, it makes a real difference. Yeah. It really does. No, I'm, I'm really glad that you, you know, you said in the beginning you were nervous and I'm, I'm glad you sort of found the courage to move forward with sharing everything because these stories are not rosy and, and, you know, you clearly had a lot you wanted to say, and I'm so glad for that because I don't get the sense that you get to talk about it in full depth all of the time. So this is really good, and I'm, I'm glad you're here, and, and I'm glad you're working through it all, okay? Thank you. Of course. My pleasure. It was good to hear from you, Alyssa. You take care, all right? Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. And I, I do plan to have my parents listen to this. And I don't think they know what podcasts are, but they're about to find out. Mm -hmm. And I do hope one day that my birth mother can listen to this as well, because there's so many things that she needs to know. You know, I just, I guess the last thing I would say is that I'm very fortunate in the sense that even though I'm not really talking to her right now, I feel a connection to her in a way that I, I'm very, um, I was right. Like I, I had this feeling like, you know, I used to sort of sometimes cry and think maybe if I cry loud enough, she'll hear me. And I think she did. Like, I just wish that she could to trust me more, but I understand why maybe she's afraid, you know, she's just afraid to lose me again. And, you know, I'm, I'm still here. I mean, I still think of her pretty positively, even though things haven't gone quite how I would want them to be. You know, I don't, have any anger or hatred for anyone you know i i would never do this <laughs> i would give my child up for adoption so i can't imagine how i would respond 
in how I would cope if I had done something like this because it's it's so it's very serious you know what has happened to me and what happens to us it's more serious than people could realize so I'm just I don't know I'm I'm really glad that I talked to you because I feel really good now I feel like I need to go take a nap (laughs) (laughs) I love that you take a nap get some rest I'm glad to hear that talking it out especially with me has brought you some comfort and just feeling better about things. I'm just really glad to hear you say that. So, all right, take care, Alyssa. All the best to you, okay? Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's me. Alyssa expressed that she was thankful for her adoptive parents, but that the family and community in which she was raised kept her from knowing part of her heritage as a black person. It was so impactful to hear Alyssa talk about how challenging it was to live her adoption publicly, even though it's something that she holds as private about herself. I thought it was really great that her first connection to her maternal aunt is one of her most cherished relationships in reunion. Of course, I'm with Alyssa in hoping that her birth mother will come around to understanding Alyssa's perspective on her adoption and will find strength to accept Alyssa's feelings and be back in contact with her in a healthy way. Naturally, her birth mother may have some processing to do to face the hard stuff herself. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in Alyssa's journey that inspired you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn, who am I really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can follow the show at facebook.com slash really. If the show is meaningful to you, you can support me with a contribution to keep it going on patreon.com slash really. Please subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a five-star rating there. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too. And you can check out the story of my adoption journey, Who Am I Really? An Adoptee Memoir on Amazon.com. I hope you'll add my story to your reading list. Music